This conversation took place in Bali at an Open Circles event, which is Summit Series hosted, bringing thought leaders from around the world together to chat about good things, progressing the world forward. And I was asked to moderate a conversation with Russell Simmons about meditation in a polarized world. He starts with uh, group meditation, which I'd encourage everyone to partake in. It's a five-minute mantra-based one, really beautifully done. And then we just dive into a conversation around meditation and yoga. And he shares some real powerful and poignant things in this conversation. So enjoy. By show of hands, most don't meditate. Good. Sit up straight, but be comfortable. There's a, a great teacher says all you need to meditate is patience. Right? You just have a little patience. And it's impossible. The mind's like a monkey. It bounces around. It does all kinds of craziness on its own. And then when the nervous system calms, the mind settles. It's impossible. The nervous system calms, the mind settles. The mind settles, the nervous system calms. It's a cycle of the same. And so if we sit and we're patient, the mind will settle. People who say, I can't meditate, they can say it over and over again until then they say, oh shit, I'm meditating. So what we're doing, since we're adults, we, we have enough um, patience to give ourselves, and you know, or, or, or better yet, even if you don't believe me, what we're going to want to do is we're going to, I promised I'll sit here. I promised this fuck, I said, I'm going to sit here. So now you're going to sit, because you made the commitment. Um, and I would recommend that any of you has the courage and the and can make the commitment to do 20 minutes, we're going to do five. Just long enough, the mind start to settle, so maybe we can hear. Because a lot of what we're going to talk about is listening. Uh, I think that we chose um, seeking yoga in a polarized world. And it's a very important subject for all of us for now because the world is pretty polarized. And the problem, I think, is that we, we pick sides and we get angry. And we don't listen. And I think that meditation will be one of our tools. Uh, because if the monk tells you to do it, or the imam, or the rabbi, or the priest, and then the whole gang says do it, you generally do it. And you never think about it. And if you do think about it, you think about it. But you don't tune in and listen to the voice inside you about whether or not their recommendations are worthwhile or worth it for you. Remember, the monk can really give you bad advice. The, 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 the preacher can tell you to put people in ovens. The imam can tell you, well, the preacher can blow up a mosque. It's more often than the mosque blows up. But also, the imam can tell you to do anything. The rabbi can give you bad advice as well. So, there are no figures in this world outside of you that have a greater voice or, or a greater understanding of what's good for you than you. And a lot of the yogis would say, and a lot of the uh, teachers from all the great uh, religions and great spiritual teachers would tell you that there's this piece of God inside you is all-knowing. And so the reason we meditate, and when I say seeking yoga, seeking the self, that there's no, that the only goal in life is to know the self. There's absolutely nothing worth chasing in this world than self-realization. Because in every second, every effort you make, everything you give, every car you buy, every frivolous piece of sex you have, it's just for a second of yoga, a second of Christ consciousness, a second of nirvana, a samadhi, uh, taqwa for Muslims, a second of freedom. And then the idea is to expound on those seconds, and that's what they mean when they say enlightened, the person who's stuck on stupid, and every place they look is God. Corpse, sunset, all of it. So meditation will help you to become more of a watcher. And we want to be the watcher. We can do all the work, but the watcher is separate from the suffering. And all of our efforts in life 
is to get out of the suffering and get into the bliss. So this, so we're gonna meditate a few minutes. It's one of the best tools. A lot of people would say it was the best tool that there is to, to uh, get out of the suffering. So we'll meditate a few minutes, then we'll have our talk. Sit, close your eyes, be patient. We're gonna share a mantra. The mantra is rum. Say rum. Rum. Rum, 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 rum. rum, rum. Like alcohol, rum and coke, rum, rum. Right? So we're gonna say rum, but only to ourselves. We're gonna think this vibration. It has no meaning, it's only purpose. It's to give you a single-pointed focus on that mantra. You're gonna think that mantra, and when you lose it to a thought, that's good. <laughs> then gently, don't fight it, gently, when you finish with the thought, come back to that mantra. So sit and be patient. The clock begins.
time. Acknowledge your breath. Flick your eyes when you're ready. Take your time. Funny that all the science now, all the research, a lot of these science, uh, all the my friend Oz is here, and a lot of the technology, health technology, and a lot of the science about um, health in general, well-being in general, that's being proven so so rapidly, so much new information. It's all based in stuff that was in the scripture and taught by people for thousands of years. I forget the name of the cells that they shrink when you're getting older. They start shrinking, the cap gets on them and they shrink. Uh, category stem cells? Yeah, they shrink. But when you meditate, the cap falls off. Uh, telomeres. And, and the, the cap falls off and they, they grow. So it's the reversal of aging from meditating. Who knew? One way to describe a bit of what was happening there in the mantra is like it's a mind vehicle, right? You see it as a mind vehicle and if your mind is a bucket of water, you're kind of dropping down into deeper states of being. So we start on this superficial layer of where the noise and all the gross senses and then the mantra takes us out our awareness down to deeper states, the story, the narrative, the fear, the love, and then we go to the very base of the ocean, which is the, the unified field in quantum physics, the everythingness and the nothingness. Is that a practical way to for people to understand what's going on when they use that particular technique just then? Wow, that's, that's, yeah, it's perfect. I mean, glad I got you here. <laughs> I, I wouldn't have said that shit. It didn't, yeah. yeah, the idea is that the mind settles. And when it, you know, the, uh, Maharishi said, when the mind settles, the universe unravels. And then all the monks got wrapped, different wrapped. You know, they all settled mind. The Yoga Sutras, the second sutra, Yoga Shitta Friti Narodaha. And the Yoga Sutras is the Bible, kind of, of the yogic science. It's like a science book for happiness. It says, yoga, or God consciousness happens with the cessation or the fluctuation of the mind. And when the mind is still, then there's God everywhere. Consciousness prevails. You know, and again, like you're on a basketball court and you can't miss. Right? You, bring, you ever run and be like, oh, no more tired, nothing, just awake and present. The idea is that we can get stuck on stupid. Completely free and seeing the world in real time. Like the fluctuations, that's our stuff. In real time, the world is moving like that. And when the world moves like that and your mind is still, there's no suffering. There's no, and, and the idea of being stuck where you can't come back, this, or not interested, no seeds bring you back into the world. This is yoga. This is God consciousness, or again, you know, the Muslims' taqwa, or all the prophets spoke of it. So it's not a foreign idea. It's not some, you know, weird one. It's for all the religions you've, the great religions and the great teachers have talked about this consciousness that we're all uh, seeking. One way we were chatting before is like how. Any religion is essentially founded on one human that's sat still and noticed the origin. That kind of, that, and this process of noticing your origin, sinking down to the deepest part of what your being is, you're kind of identifying all the impressions you've received over the years. The, like, it, it really gives you a license, right, to, to let go of the idea of what you think you are. Is that, is that what it did for you? Like, well, all the religions, all the prophets, they came at different times, they were different colors, they spoke different languages, and they said the same things over and over. 
and the sameness of all religions is, you know, it, there's so much of the book that was written uh, by Yogananda, The Science of Religion. And it was all the sciences, because Yoga Sutras is a science book. Do this, get that. There's no, none of the deities, the Hindu deities exist in there, none of the prophets' names that come up, none of the these kind of things are in it. It's just, do this, get that. And so the eight limbs of yoga in there and things like that. And that's a, it's a science book for happiness. Because in the end, this state of enlightenment, you know, is, is, is not only everything that we seek, it's the happiness that we, that we're craving in every effort. We're trying to get more of it, you know, and, um, extinguishing the need is our effort. Like, how do we get rid of the need? Neediness is the cause of suffering. Needing nothing is this bliss we refer to. How do we get rid of it? And that's and that's the um, um, that's the ongoing question. New car, new girl, new house. You know, and 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 the truth is, it's only here because we can always extinguish it. Like you get the car, you drive it around the corner, piss you off. It's like that's a car, three hundred. That's my Rolls Royce, right? I mean, depending on who you are, you could drive around the corner three, four times before you realize, fuck, doesn't do anything. So you know, the idea of seeking this one seat, this comfortable seat. This is that's the core. How do we get this seat, right? Seat of needing nothing. So can you tell us the first time you remember? realizing that that's what you wanted like when you needed to meditate oh my experience yeah it's it's not so important but i guess i had the experience um you know i came out of a yoga class like fuck i just went to because so many girls right like it was like 60 girls me i was invited by a, a woman who now is the chairman of fox pictures but she was my intern and she and my um uh, took me and a guy, Bobby Sriver, um, to this class, and we went, and it was cool because the teacher was kind of famous in a way. Um, he used to play, like, loud rap records in class. I remember he played Fuck the Police. I was like, oh, my God, it's just me, Steve, 60 girls, and Fuck the Police playing. And after class, I was so high. I went back every day. And um. And he passed me my first copy of the Yoga Sutras. You know, and when I talk about the power of now, he passed me that book. You know, uh, and that book was the first time I really understood what was in Scripture. And most people, most of you get it. I say car accident. I say, you know, this presence that, you know, you have from running or you've had seconds of awareness, of full awareness. But for me, that, you know, that when he said car accident, I was like, holy shit. The first time I understood the second sutra, and I had read it many times. Within business, integrating it, any any tips or highlight moments where you found it to really benefit the workflow and productivity? Well, it's, it's only, you know, nothing happens in the future. Nothing happens in the future or the past, ever. So it only happens here now. And, and, and the seconds of presence is where all the creativity comes. It's where all the honest effort. I don't care if you're washing a dish or you're, you know, studying the atom. It's here now. You know, when you read a book and everything disappears but the words. This is how, you know, innovation happens. This is how a brilliance, you know, manifests itself. You know, when the noise is gone, when the mind is settled and purely... So there's two ways to look at it. I say empty mind, but a single-pointed focus is another way of looking at it. Single-pointed focus. And there's where you can dissect, you know, the essence of something. So when all the noise is gone, but what's in front of you? And this idea of being fully awake, it's like when I say there's no suffering, I mean, you could literally be so awake that... The yogis say you you are not your body or your mind, although you have a body and a mind. So what does that mean? So you have a body and a mind, but you're the watcher. 
So much so that if you're fully present, something could happen. You say, oh, look, I cut my arm off. Right? Like when the Ramana Maharishi uh, became enlightened, he went and sat, and they ended up saying that he had swords. His fingernails were like swords. He's just sitting. They wake him up. What do you want? Teach us to be enlightened. Through telepathy, he spoke to those who were close. Like, why do you want to know that? Don't you want to go through the process? No, no, teach us to be enlightened. His body and mind, he already transcended the need. The body and the mind, those are tools to get you to enlightenment. You know, the body, the experiences, the world, the suffering, all that's to get you to enlightenment. The suffering is just, it's, you know, it's, it's part of the game. So the yogi gets out of the suffering. I mean, the real, the enlightened yogi is out of the suffering. There's no pain. There's no anything. Just here. Corpse. Sunset. It's all God to him. To her, she just sees. So one living, breathing entity, and she is absorbed into it. And there's no fear, and no separation, and there's no suffering. And so... That sounds like a lofty idea, and you don't have to believe in any of these principles, ideas, and what they're teaching. You don't have to believe in any of it. All you got to believe, all you have to do is, is practice. If you meditate daily, the mind settles more, you're happier more. If you do the asana practice and you smile and breathe in every difficult pose, one day the poses get less difficult. Then you go outside and the car, horn the car horn blows. You're like, bitch, I just did a twisting triangle. Like, you're not going to, you can't take my bliss. I just did a twisting triangle. Fuck you. Fuck out of here. You know, because this idea that, that you're going to um, you know, go right back into suffering, right back into anger. This, you know, less and less. So more and more happiness. So you don't have to believe in enlightenment. I mean, why did the Muslims have taqwa? Why do they have samadhi? Why do they have nirvana? Why do they have Christ consciousness? Why do they talk of heaven on earth? Those guys were smart enough, you know, if they recommended it, you know, that there's this possibility, then fine. But by following their ideas, you find happiness more and more. And the idea of getting stuck on stupid. Or, or in a lasting uh, bliss. It's almost like not bliss. In other words, the enlightened being is like, it just is. Right? It's not like he's giggling all day. A lot of yogis think it's like giggling all day. But it's just, it's just all God. In every scene, every from every perspective, it's all God. It's all okay. And uh, we're learning to accept it all as all God. So, okay. This happened, okay. That happened, okay. And that's what we're practicing. And that, and this is where happiness comes from. And for any one of us, even to more or less, that's our experience. That we accept it. And acceptance is this key. And this, 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 um, mindset that gives us freedom. Beautiful. Comparing the, the notion of a rishi compared to a yogi, i.e. a rishi is one that integrates their state of enlightenment in the world and a yogi is one that sits in the mountain and enlightened. No. No? No. That, it's, it's a Vedic thing. I mean, the label, labels will be polarized. And yeah, the labels. Yeah, labels. I mean, the idea that we want to be, uh, that we're servants because we are. Like, we're servants. You know, and and um, and like we, we were going to talk about business and business yogis, right? And what is it? You know, we're servants. It's part of our. We have to have a focus in order to be still. We have to have something. What's our focus? Dishwashing. You know, is it is it you know d d discovering something that you know? What's our focus? There's a focus. There's a dharma. There's a purpose. Uh, as we become more free of the the noisy world that causes this suffering we we generally move toward purpose that is 
of greater service to others. But remember what I said about uh, uh, Maharishi, Ramana Maharishi. He's like, what do you want that for? Go through the suffering. You know, God is the bank robber. God is the robber. God is the God is all. Of, you know, which piece of God are you? One God that you're playing because you're acting as God in this role causes less suffering for yourself. Like the one who doesn't do too much bad shit, the one who's kind of good, mostly walks through the world giving and being compassionate and sweet and loving. This person may be moving closer to enlightenment, but no one knows when enlightenment is coming. I used to joke and say 50 Cent was enlightened. He's always happy. And we don't know what's good. I was talking about the Ramana, not Ramana Maharishi, but Ramdas has his story. And Elijah Muhammad told the same story from the black Muslims. And I guess everybody's told the story that we'll see uh, what's good or what's bad. And it was about to, and you all heard this story probably. The kid falls off the horse and breaks his leg. And they come by and they say, oh my goodness, to the monk or to the preacher, whatever he was, depending on who told the story. Your son has broken his leg. How are you going to eat? Who's going to gather the food? And, 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 the, and the monk says, we'll see. The next day, they come back and they snatch all the kids. Like, we're going to war. Oh, we can't take him. He's got a broken leg. Kids all get killed in war. They come back to the monk and said, oh, how lucky you are. Your kid has a broken leg and didn't get killed in the war. So we'll see. Then the horse runs off. Fuck, now you ain't got a horse? And you don't have a son to gather the food, and you're really twisted. And the monk says, we'll see. And then the horse comes back, and there's three horses. Now he's got four horses. Like, Trump got elected. Fuck. <laughs> Maybe we'll be more conscious. Maybe we'll pay attention to the environment. Maybe we'll be more compassionate. Maybe that's a catalyst for more consciousness. Um, certainly, the polarization is... is it's a difficult one to, to deal with, but maybe something good will come from it. We'll see. And if we can see the world that way, and we can only be vehicles for what we, because we're not enlightened. The reason I said 50 Cent might be enlightened, because he's always laughing and shit. He's only picking on bullies. I'm always watching him. You know, I get to speak to him a lot. He calls me up. I said, why, you, why are you picking on so-and-so? He's a bitch ass. I said, what do you do? He's just a bitch ass, Russ. He picks on him. And I remember he's never afraid of the world. He's always giggling. And he's always doing the work. It might be God's work. And I told this story, and this might be funny to some of you. Some of you might think I'm crazy to tell it, but 50 Cent was filming a video. And I remember this story. It's why I always say, nigga, are you enlightened? Because he, he's sitting there. They're filming a video. And, and Suge Knight, if you know the polarizing figure, sitting here with a gun in his lap, and there's four other guys, and they're all, like, really menacing, and they're going to extort the video. And 50 Cent sees them, starts laughing, and starts running full speed. He runs to his his trailer, gets a Uzi, and runs out and chases them. They get in the car and drive off. He barks at him like a dog. And he's laughing and shit. These niggas ain't going to be back again here. He's like, this guy's he's been shot nine times, and most in like, at, at one time nine times. So a lot of these stories of enlightenment are people who had near-death experiences. And we don't know what God's plan is. So they say a yogi has no karma. He just does this. He's channeling. So, you know, we're doing good because we want to get out of the suffering. We're doing good because that's our route to enlightenment. We're doing what we see is compassionate and loving and and helpful, and you know, and, and because we... Uh, by our judgment, are doing good. But, you know, is Trump good? We have to figure that out later. Right? Doesn't mean we support him. It means we do what we feel is good. We vote. Get rid of the fucker. <laughs> anyway, that's... Uh, does anybody have any questions? Yeah. How much patience should you have in this context of we'll see? Because given enough time... Um, it sounds. It seems like a lot of things might just kind of heal on its own. Um, but how? 
you know, should you be patient? Like, is there kind of like a, how do you contextualize that time? Well, it didn't mean that the monk didn't get up and try to figure out how best to gather food. You know, we'll see means the world, you know, we can't control and we shouldn't seek to control what's going on in the world. We have to do as we, I suggested, what's right, what we think is right. So we're doing good, right? What we think is good as much as we can. So it's an ongoing practice. So, I mean, we don't have to have patience to respond. We should be patient when, you know, instead of being reactive, the watcher makes a decision based on here, not all colored by every experience he's had. As much as the watcher can distance himself from the hurtful and previous experiences and good or whatever experiences that he or she can make a, a decision from the heart, then that is, that's the intention to be able to make a decision and do the work. And they, yogis say, do the work and get out of the suffering without regard for result, right? You, you do the work without regard for result. Uh, they say the work's the prayer. And the result is just, you know, is of, of no, no value, of minimal value, which is a good thing for people who go to work every day. Just do the work, get out of the suffering. Do the work, forget the results. That's what I think Krishna told Arjuna, you have control over the work alone, but never its fruit. And then he went on and on, or certainly in translations, they go on and on, and they describe that as, you know, the work is what makes you happy. The work is the prayer. The work is the gift. The work is the thing that promotes presence. The work is the thing that promotes happiness. And the results are just, you know, that's the ego and that's the stuff. You can, I mean, what can they really give us? All of us here business people. No matter how rich we are, we can only sit our ass in one seat at a time. And our only goal in life is to make that seat comfortable. And if we can have a comfortable seat, then we've achieved everything there is in life. So it's just stuff that we all know, but we don't want to remember. I think the practice is to remember to remember. What, what tools other than meditation help you and yoga keep you on the path or keep you connected like this? Oh. You know, it's when things happen that are traumatic, you have to remember the tools. On, I used to have a yoga studio, which I just recently closed. And every Sunday we had Soul Sunday. And we had Deepak Chopra come to, and we only had it for a year. Deepak Chopra came twice, and, um, and Reverend Beckwith came to visit and to teach. Swami Radhanath came. Marianne Williamson came. We had all these great people. And, and you know, they were great teachers. And I would think to myself, you know, and some of these great yogis came. I mean, like, you may not know their names as well. You know, like, great teachers. And they all said the same thing. It's like, you know, and, 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 and they say it, and then maybe there's a different slant. How did they translate scripture, whether it be yogic scripture or the Bible or the Quran, whatever it was, they, they, how did they translate it? Maybe you'll ring a bell when they say it. You heard it, but now you hear it again. You knew it was true is why it works. It's like you're just a parrot until it becomes real. Until your own trauma comes and it's your turn to practice what you preach. You know, that is really, and it's always your turn. It's always your turn. When something really difficult happens and it's time to sit. 20 minutes into your meditation, you're glad you did, but to sit in pain. To sit in suffering. There's where your lessons are learned. And only through suffering, it seems, that you really grow. You don't grow so much through ease. Through suffering. And through difficult experiences. And that's when you know the tools work. Because you have to use them. A lot of people can teach, you know, yogic science or Buddhist philosophy or... And then 
goes out the window when, when trouble comes. You know, and most of us, the practice for yogi is to remember to remember. That's the practice. Like in yoga, the asana, the physical practice, you think of you smile and breathe in difficult poses. Wow. Make a face smile. But you got to smile and breathe in the difficult poses. And then again, the pose gets easy. And and the pose gets easy, then the real world outside of it, not that that's not the real world, the the other part of the world becomes easy as well. I don't, I don't want to waste too much time. How long have we been? Is there any more questions from the crowd? Anyone feels like that? Oh, yeah, I'm a vegan. Uh, I've been a vegan for over 20 years. I cheat sometimes. They get so mad when I say that. Like, I, I even wrote, you know, a book on it, you know, and in the book I talked about how I cheat, you know. Um, I'll eat fish off your plate, like, if you're not looking or something. Shit like that. But, you know, as a... We have, we're so unconscious on so many levels and we do so much dumb shit that we can't even, and, and if we sit back and we meditate, like I told you, the monk told you, the imam told you, the preacher told you, but you did it anyway, right? Or that they told you and then you thought about it and said, I don't believe you, which is good sometimes. How is it possible that we can create birth into suffering 200 billion animals a year and as Christians who say dominion over the animals how is it possible that we can birth 200 billion animals into the most unimaginable imaginable suffering then we can cause cancer by eating them and be the number one cause of the destruction of the planet by, by, by joining this process it's the most, it's mind-boggling. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, when the collective goes wrong, so it corrects itself sometimes. So, oh, no, we're going to stop putting people in ovens. We're going to stop what we were doing in Rwanda. We're going to stop what we were doing. You know, we correct ourselves. But it's crazy when we look back and say, look what we did. Look at the bombs we dropped. Look at the innocent people we killed. Look at the suffering we caused. You know, we eventually, usually, get past it. There's no excuse for birthing these animals into this kind of suffering, only to be the number one cause of the destruction of the planet, only to cause more cancer than anything else. It can't be. So, I mean, and it sounds, I sound, when I talk about this, people say, oh, you sound radical. It's unconscious behavior. There's no other there's no other explanation for it that I can think of. People say, oh no, but I need my you know well it's unconscious behavior. We can replace that. We can save the planet. We can it's the worst karmic disaster in the history of the world, recreated every year, and every year it's worse. The worst karmic disaster. The Holocaust that we cause. Most of you fuckers can't choke a chicken. Can you choke a chicken like you choke a chicken? Right? But you still participate. And so long as you're distanced from it, you participate in this disaster. And so for me, uh, I went because of compassion. And then if you do it for compassion, then you have your friend and they tell you about all the... Then you watch What the Hell. A lot of you have seen that documentary, right? It's a pretty popular one. You watch What the Hell on um, Netflix? It's like mind-boggling how bad it is for you. You know, I'm old as fuck. I don't want to die. I don't want to be like my friends. I'm going to die. I mean, I'm not afraid. I don't want to die now. Nor do I want to suffer between now and death. I want to live a happy healthy life. I'm 61 years old. I can look at myself 40 years ago. I looked like I was going to die based on what I ate and the way I treated my body. So now I'm on a path that I want less suffering and I want my, I want to be able to move around and I want to, you know, I don't want to look like my friends. 
Can you can you tell us a bit about some upcoming projects you're working on? Well, um, I'm spending a lot of time in Bali, and I became partners with Gush Cloud, with Althea here. And, and, and one thing is this modern technology and health. Every morning I would get up, I would go to hot yoga, and, and I go jump in the cryotherapy chamber. Anybody do that? You do that? It's fucking amazing. It's like minus 300 degrees. You go in there, two minutes, come out high as hell. And God knows I've been sober 30 years, but I love getting high. I come out of that chamber, and high, brain's awake, inflammation is down, blood is circulating, and it, it makes you feel amazing, right? But that's like one of the instant things. But then they take your blood and they check and they say, oh, you're missing this, 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 that, and the other. You're an old man. You're missing fucking everything. And they put it back in you. And they've been doing this for years. And Oz Garcia was the first one that, you know, I don't know, I don't, 20 years ago started sticking needles in me, giving me shit that I was missing. But at, at 35, you start losing, for instance, testosterone. You start losing testosterone about 35. So when you're 61 and you look at your chart, you got all this estrogen, which causes cancer and fucks you up a lot of ways, too much estrogen, and you have not enough testosterone. So now the modern way is an implant. They slice a little, it sounds weird to put testosterone in your butt, but they slice a little thing on the side of your butt and they put this testosterone little tablet in there, put a Band-Aid, it heals in a week, and it starts to distribute testosterone over almost a period of a year. So your testosterone goes all the way up. That's brain functionality. It's, it's happness. It's, it's, it does so many things. I could tell you a shitload of things that testosterone do for men, right? And the obvious and, um, it lowers the test, it lowers the estrogen, right? So it's, it's a tremendous, Find and there's new technology. Every two years, we learn more about anti-aging and health than has ever been known in the history of the world. Every two years, your doctor don't know shit. So this new stuff that's been research and research and double research and you know and is effective, necessary, you know, for us if we want to live a long time. Oz is always joking, we're going to live to 200. I want this fucker to move here so when we build this big health resort that people can come and reboot their lives and then go home rejuvenated rather than going home, you know, you know, mostly you go home, you got so drunk, got to go home and you got to recuperate from your vacation. We want people to go on vacation and come back and say, I'm rested and I'm a different person. You know, so I want to build that. And I also always wanted to build a uh, conscious delivery system, a yoga. Um, and the idea was like Peloton yoga, like, you know, like you go there and it's, it's kind of a, um, a connectivity with some other students and you do the practice. There are many apps. The apps I look at, um, they're either yoga-inspired fitness apps or... They're, they're just like, or they're, um, if they're yoga inspired fit, fitness apps for one, or they're shishi. Like when I write my book, my books, I'm going to give you a book. You can all have one. But this book, my ex-wife named it. It's called Super Rich. If I had called this book Christ Consciousness, it would never have got on Oprah. <laughs> it would never have sold. It wouldn't have this sticker on it, best time, bestseller. Because the state of needing nothing is super rich and the state of needing nothing is also this heaven on earth. I can't write a book, Russell, the hip hop guy, but super rich. So what I wanted to do is I wanted to create, um, I wanted to create a way to deliver real yoga and have integrity and make it commercial. You know, and I, even the asana, the physical practice, I want to make it one that, you know, people, um, recognize a lot of the teachers, the smart ones, uh, have these complex sequences. Uh, but most of us know an astanga based uh, vinyasa is what we expect when we get off a plane and we're in Alaska and we're going to go to yoga, we'll probably end up with an astanga based vinyasa. And I created a sequence along with the teachers that is pretty intuitive, 
and intelligent and simple and safe. And so I want to also have the lectures, have the information, have the science. I want to play music like Krishna Das and Kendrick Lamar. <laughs> I want to make it, so I'm going to build those two things. And that's what I'm going to be doing here in East Asia. So that's my future. That's the last chapter of my life. Bring more people to God and help people be healthier. Amazing. It's really inspiring. Anything else? My man. Um, some of these tools that you talk about, meditation and other things that really helped you in your life, you, I'm not sure how far back you started some of these, but maybe like when you started your businesses like in the 80s, like 90s, do you think you now, thinking back, would have approached business practices or how you ran a business? Well, in the, like in the 70s, my first record was 1979. And during the 80s and in the early 90s, it was rock and roll. It was like, you know, it was drugs, sex, and alcohol, you know, and cocaine and LSD. I mean, heroin, weight, and whatever the fuck else they were giving out, all that shit, right? So I, I don't regret my past, you know. I don't, I, I, you know, I had a lot of fun. I lived in a certain moment, you know, when people did, you know, what they did. And, and when I found yoga, it was a good time. I think everything happened at the right time. And, and in terms of, of course it would have been better to be on time. <laughs> Is it, but what, where's Russell? He's in the crib. He's still asleep. He was up all night sniffing coke, you know. I'm sure I would have been better. But, you know, I experienced what the artists experienced with them. I was kind of like their mentor, but their friend, but I was their friend. Um, I wouldn't trade those times. You know, uh, that's why I said when, when Ramana Maharishi, when he came out of it, he had been in meditation for a long time and he was completely free of everything. He like, didn't have any reason to use his body or his mind. And they woke him up and put water in his, like, what do you want? He says, teach us how to be enlightened. He's like, for what? Why you want that shit? Right? We all want to get out of the suffering. Right? We, I, you, no one likes you. You ever sniff cocaine? It's disgusting. You ever do it? In the morning? Like, wait a minute. At, at eight, at evening, the night after, and you've been sniffing all day and all night? It's, it's, it's not fucking, it's not great. You know, but you learn a lot. And again, without suffering, you don't learn anything. If it's all ease, you don't evolve. So I can't look back and say, you know, I wish I hadn't or any of that. Um, what what I wouldn't have done, I probably wouldn't have lost the beast. Somebody asked me, I used to always say, well, I wouldn't have lost the Beastie Boys. <laughs> they did fine. Yeah. Well, one, one last question I had is, as a takeaway for anyone, knowing the polarization we feel in ourselves and and the polarization we see in the world, is there a particular program that you would recommend for yoga and meditation that we could activate in ourselves immediately? I got to tell you, try to get out of this suffering. Try not. Try not. Try to think for yourself. It's hard. You're not watching stuff going on on TV. Everybody on this side believes this. Everybody on that side believes that. There's no listening. I can have something I'm particularly proud of. I was best friends with Donald Trump. I'll finish that sentence. <laughs> Not best. I was really close to Donald. I was close to Roger Ailes. I was close to Rupert Murdoch. I used to go to dinner with Bill O'Reilly. And I found that Donald's different because he's fucking, you know, he's different. He's different because he wasn't like, these are serious guys, you know. Like Roger Ailes is a serious guy. He ran Fox News. He had a belief system. And I remember arguing with him once. He asked me, a, I remember I had a Louis Farrakhan um, event and Will Smith and Puffy and Jay-Z and every rapper came. He's speaking to them about, Eminem came, everybody came. He's speaking to them about what they can do as artists to uplift the world. Everybody hates Louis Farrakhan, but black people. So Louis Farrakhan speak. So Roger says, are all those Muslims, are all those rappers black Muslims? He says, they don't got bow ties on. No, they're not all black Muslims. And then he said, 
we started talking and I, he asked me about, we talked about all the work that I had done for the, to fight the prison industrial complex. And he said, they're criminals, they belong in jail. I said, but they're just diseased people. They're just people who are diseased, they use drugs, they don't belong in jail for 20 years. They're criminals, they should be in jail. And we argued, and then finally I said, well, you know that when they're put in jail, they're trained in violent criminal behavior, and then they're put back into communities, and then recidivism, and it's just horrible. You ruin these people who were just sick and diseased. I said, can we put them somewhere else? He said, what do you mean? I said, in a different population. Maybe the drug people can go somewhere else. And Rajael said, that's a good idea. And we wrote a joint blog. No one I knew would talk to Rajael's because he was the devil. But he didn't think he's the devil. None of these people that the progressives are viewing as evil, most are not evil. They believe their shit. And then most of these uh, right-wingers who think that you're all a bunch of liberal people going to burn the world up, they don't realize that you're sweet, compassionate people. And you're never going to find out about each other unless you talk, unless you listen. So the most important thing meditation can do is so you can listen. And when you go out into the world, not carry so much judgment. And that's the most important thing that if anybody takes anything away, try not to judge people because they might be they, they, they believe their shit. Sounds crazy, some of it, but they believe it. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks.